think it was the day of the company party, company mm-hmm. holiday party. Mm-hmm. And I was in the car on my way to look for outfits. That's where I was going. Oh. And okay. Zeth was in the car with me. And I'm just going to tell you about this wild ride down Division okay. that I just could not fathom what was happening. And I hadn't drove for the whole week before because it was icy. Okay. Or like threatened to be icy as the weather likes <laughs> to it, do. That's, yeah. And I wasn't even going to risk it. Okay. So I get on Division and there's a fire truck coming. No. No. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> there was a police car pulled over and a bunch. No, I was right the first time. Sorry. <laughs> it happened a while ago. I forgot. A fire truck passed me. So okay. I did what I had to do and I pulled over. Yeah. Fire truck goes forward. I pull back, you mm-hmm. know. But then the fire truck slows down and is no longer going fast. Is going slower than the speed limit. Okay. So I didn't know what I was supposed to do because it should I because you're not allowed to be right behind them. Yeah. So I slowed down, but then all the traffic slowed down. Also, this fire truck didn't know where it was going <laughs> and was switching lanes back and forth. Oh no! And going slow, and so I was like, should I just pull over again? Right. What do I do <laughs> and, here? And then there was a big scene. There okay. was like one police car. And then an ambulance. And then another fire truck was already there. And so this fire truck, like, slowly turned, figured out where it was going, obviously to this big thing. Sure. And sort of just blocked traffic for a little bit. Oh. But then I think it left. (laughs) And as I continued driving past this, still reeling because it was so weird. And I was like, "What's what's happening on Division today? Yeah. A truck... Just a random truck driving. All of a sudden, the fucking hood <laughs> popped right up. <laughs> and I was like, it's a cursed day. This day's not going to be good. Because <laughs> it was the first time leaving the house. It was like 8.30. Yeah. That's it. That's <laughs> weird. It was bizarre. And then something else happened. I don't remember. Good storytelling. I know. Good storytelling. <laughs> I thought it was particularly hilarious when we all piled into the car. We were driving downtown, and we were crossing the Ross Island Bridge, and you were like, this is oh. the first time I've crossed this bridge since I hit that other car. <laughs> that was that same day. Yeah. That was a weird driving day for me. Yeah. And it ended with Larissa, a wonderful Lyft driver. <gasps> That's right. Who hit a speed bump really hard, and she was, it oh, like no. jarred us. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hope my car's okay. And I was like... These fucking roads. The government. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Shaking my fist. Mm. Yeah, that was a weird day to be on the road for me. Hmm. Interesting. I'll mark that in my calendar. Yeah. Weird road weird day. Weird road day. <laughs> oh, well, hello. <laughs> Welcome. This is called Kiana's Weird Road Day. <laughs> Where I try to remember what happened to me on the road that day. <laughs> and only vaguely remember, but just keep on right saying n- it was really strange. Mm-hmm. Anyway. For a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually that Broad's Got Moxie. Oh, yeah. We're yes. a podcast. <laughs> Sorry we deceived you. <laughs> this is Kiana. I'm Cassie. Danny's here. Giving mm-hmm. me stink eye. Looking at her foot pointing her toe right at you yeah she is it's an aggressive do you see this little sass position she's in i see a wonderful 
pointed toe. That's fashion, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. So, Mm -hmm. it is episode 54. Mm -hmm. Next week is our fucking anniversary. (gasps) Our one year anniversary. That's bananas. We've been doing this for a year. Holy shitballs. Unless we break up before next week. (laughs) In which case, we will just barely have made it. I'm going to Meghan Markle out of the... (laughs) Danny's going to Markle the fuck out of here. Be like, I'm tired of you too. And you're ice crunching. Ice crunching. And you're breathing. (laughs) So, funny story. Hit a little too close to home over there. Everyone by now, if you were listening in in con- mm, consecutively, right mm-hmm. in order, the- Danny was editing the episode mm-hmm. where we talked about Mum Cheryl and Mal and Matt's daughter, mm-hmm. and where she opened with you, mm-hmm. and then said I was dead, and also made fun of my old man laugh. Mm-hmm. So she was editing that last night. And she played it for me, and I I was shook again. I was like, I can't believe, not only did you make fun of my laugh, but you also (laughs) said I was dead. (laughs) And we had a good chuckle about it. I was like, the business, baby. Divorce 2020. It's a thing. (laughs) We're saying it too much now. It's scaring me. (laughs) Well, and if you ask Danny, she'd be like, don't say it. You're going to jinx it. All the time. All the time. True. Never. Never. Okay. Episode 54. I'm going first. Mm-hmm. As always. As always. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you are both fucking coming for me today, and I am getting tired of it. <laughs> Ugh. Mm-hmm. All right. Today. Would you have something to say? No. Okay. Today, I'm talking about Katherine Johnson. Oh. As momentarily. Let me tell you my sources. Thehistorymakers.com. Biography.com. And NASA.gov. Mm. Yes. Katherine Johnson's biography on NASA.gov by Margot Lee Shetterly. Okay. All right. <sighs> Katherine Johnson was born on August 26th, 1918, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Her father, Joshua, was a blacksmith and a farmer, and her mother, Joylette, was a schoolteacher. Catherine grew up in a household that valued the importance of education, and that meant high expectations for her and her three siblings. Her parents did all they could do to encourage Catherine's curiosity and obvious talent for math. Not, nope, not here. Not in this household. She said, <laughs> quote, I counted everything. The steps, the dishes, the stars in the sky. <laughs> That's a lot of counting. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine whenever I think of kids counting, yeah. I think of count. From the Sesame, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. So little Catherine is sitting at the bottom of the stairs. One stair. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> two. Two stairs. Ah, ah, ah. That's a really great impression of the count. I like it a lot. <laughs> I think I'm secretly really good at impressions. 
the other day I was sitting on the couch and we were talking about Snow White. And I was like, my favorite opener to any Disney song uh-huh. is the hi-ho yeah. from Snow White. And I did it. Uh-huh. And both Zeth and Sage were like, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it now because it's bad. Do it. <laughs> Hi ho! <laughs> <laughs> that had a little vibrato at the I end. I know that's solid. I'm, I sing better in my Keith voice than I do in my normal Look, voice, and I, would, I resent it. Let me tell you something. <laughs> we were at the fucking gym this morning, and Danny goes, "You know that song? What's that song called? Because I love you." Lizzo, mm-hmm. who's like, there's a song that you'll never hear me sing, but when I listen to it in the car, I sing it very loud <laughs> because there's like a little operatic moment in there, and you though that's my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. It's Danny's favorite fucking thing is to sing <laughs> "Poor Unfortunate Souls." Mm-hmm. Oh, the yes. Part is Anything that has a little oh. Danny is like, she's she's in it. She's in it to win it. I love it. She also does a really good turkey impression, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Please. <laughs> also, it's just the funniest thing to watch her face when she does it. <laughs> Telling you, good sounds. What are we talking about? Math. Boy. Oh, we got way... We got so far off. Okay. <laughs> Sharp left. We were that, that fire oh, truck. <laughs> True. We're just blocking the road. Everyone's like, where's the fucking story? <laughs> okay. As there was no secondary school for black children in White Sulphur Springs, the Colemans sent their children to attend the high school on the campus of West Virginia State Institute which was a black college a 100 miles away on the outskirts of Charleston. West Virginia. That's what I was... Every time you say West Virginia, that's what I think about. And I'm glad Danny took the mic and did it. (laughs) Yes, she did. I looked over and she's like doing the gimme sign with her hand and I was like, what is happening? It's It's what I was thinking. I'm glad you did it. You guys are cute. Is that John Denver? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I love that you confer- very like a hundred percent positive confirmation from. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm the dummy. I did. I did. Oh boy. Um. Look. I don't do folk. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Isn't it country? Tomato, tomato. It's a little both. This is a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. She's a little bit country and a little bit dumb. <laughs> That's you. That's my oh my God! <laughs> That's my song I just wrote for you. I'm starting my own <laughs> podcast. It's just me. Is that what it's going to be called? Yeah. What are you going to do? No. You don't have a sound person? Mm. You're forfeiting Danny to me. Me and Danny are going to have a podcast. Can I please get back to my story? <laughs> Honest to God, I am not. I'm halfway through a paragraph. Okay. Then go. All right. <laughs> Jesus. Thank you. 
Catherine enrolled at the high school at age 10. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're, see? It's a cool fucking story. Shut your mouths. And earned exceptional grades. At 14, after graduating high school, she enrolled in the college itself, where she flew through the school's math curriculum. She found mentors in Angie Turner King, who was one of the first black women to earn degrees in chemistry and mathematics. And W.W. I almost said W. W.W. Shiflin Clator, Clator, who was the third African-American to earn a Ph.D. in mathematics. Hmm. Ever. Good mentors. Yeah. Fucking real good mentors. <laughs> she's These, fucking 14. Yeah. She's pubescent. And these two, like, math whizzes had to come up with new shit for her to learn. Because they were like, well, she's already read all the books. She can do everything. We don't know what to do now. Catherine graduated with the highest honors in 1937 with degrees in math education and in French. Afterwards, she took a job teaching at a black public school in Marion, Virginia. So, in 1939, West Virginia went a little rogue. Honestly, Mm -hmm. you too. (laughs) Sunshine on my goddamn shoulder, Don Denver. (laughs) That's a quote from a movie. How do do we watch so many different things? (laughs) That's a good question. That makes it so that Danny and I very often are on the same wavelength. (laughs) And then more often than not, you say something, and both me and Danny are like, I don't know. <laughs> Look, my sister would understand, and that's, I appreciate that. She doesn't listen, but you know what? What are we going to do? You can't win them all, right? So 1939, West Virginia fucking went rogue and decided to secretly, kind of, you know, quietly integrate its graduate schools. So Catherine and two male students were selected as the first black students to be offered spots at the state's flagship school, West Virginia University. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I was afraid something bad was happening. No. (laughs) No. It only goes up from here. Oh. It dips a little, but then it goes back up. Anyway, we'll get there. Catherine left her teaching job and enrolled in the graduate math program. Um, however, at the end of the first session, Catherine had Catherine had married James Goble, her husband, mm-hmm. obviously, and close to the end of the first year, first I can't remember if it was the first semester of the first year, um, she was like, oh, I'm pregnant. So mm-hmm. she was like, this is a good time for me to kind of pause and go and start my family. So the couple had three daughters. Constance, Joylette, and Catherine. Mm. Do you put a junior on ladies' names? On ladies' names? I don't think they mm. typically do. Oh, okay. But I think sometimes that they, I mean. I mean, you could, I You suppose. can do what you want. There's no law against it. That's true. It. That's true. My next child's going to be my next child. I don't have any. <laughs> you sure don't. I was like, <laughs> I got some explaining to do. My um, first little accident is going to be something the fifth. <laughs> To really confuse them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if I have any children, they're all going to have identity issues. <laughs> Look, we pass on our traumas. It's a true thing. 
Ooh, that was so real. (laughs) (laughs) Did not expect that. It's a true story. All right. After her girls got a little bit older, Catherine returned to teaching. It wasn't until 1952 that a relative told her about a bunch of open job positions at the all-black West Area Computing Section at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. NACA. Hmm. Okay. Close. Yeah. (laughs) Not there yet. Not there yet. Got a couple more years. At Langley, which is in West Virginia, mm-hmm. which was he- headed by her fellow West Virginian, Dorothy Vaughn, who was fucking great. Mm. Um, so Catherine and her husband decided to move the family to Newport News, also in West Virginia, to pursue this exciting new opportunity. And Catherine began work at Langley in the summer of 1953. So just two weeks into her her new job... Um, Dorothy Vaughn assigned her to a project in the Maneuver Loads branch of the Flight Research Division. And Catherine's temporary position very quickly became, you're staying here forever. (laughs) Permanent. (laughs) Permanent. That's the word. Thank you. That's the word I wrote. (laughs) Just couldn't find it. I was like, keep talking until you find your spot. (laughs) Permanent position. She spent the next four years analyzing data from flight tests and worked on the investigation of plane crashes that were caused by wake interference. As she prepared to start on a bunch of new projects, uh, her husband James died quite suddenly of a brain tumor in December 1956. James' death, however, was not the only thing that would change Catherine's life. Less than a year later, in October 1957, the Soviet Union launched their satellite Sputnik into Earth's orbit. Space race. Space race. And then I said, I I have a story for this, but let me say it first. Thus began the space race, a.k.a. an international (laughs) dick-swinging competition. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, (laughs) rockets themselves, very phallic. Very phallic. So I'm writing, I'm typing this last night, and I was like... (laughs) Caught Danny as she was coming around the corner to go in the bathroom. It's like, I have a question for you. Is it appropriate to call the space race international dick swing competition? (laughs) She laughed and she was like, yeah, I think so. (laughs) Good. I mean, I think most international things could be (laughs) boiled down to a dick swing competition. Amen. Cold War. Mm, Just to name one other one. I could have named more. (laughs) But I decided I made the the artistic choice to stop at one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I support I support you. You two are just riotous today. We got the giggles. <laughs> it's not a crime. <laughs> All right. Catherine provided some of the math for this. It was a big 1958 document. It's called Notes on Space Technology, which is just a big bunch of lectures that was given at this thing for a bunch of dudes mm. engineers from those groups formed the core of the like space task group quote mm-hmm. unquote uh which was naca's first official foray into space travel and Catherine, because she'd already worked with these guys for a bunch of years they were like okay you're gonna come along with us which is kind of shitty because she's doing all your fucking math for you <laughs> right and you're like i guess you can join but anyway, she became part of the group. 
1959, Catherine married her second husband, James Johnson, who was an army officer and a veteran of the Korean War. And I'll get there, but in the movie Hidden Figures, Mm -hmm. there's this really hilarious quote. She meets him at a church picnic, and she's talking to him. I couldn't find out if this was an actual thing that she may or may not have said, but creatively speaking, I think it was a good choice for them to make. (laughs) She says, she's talking to him, and she says, they let women do a lot of things at NASA, and it's not because we wear skirts. It's because we wear glasses. (laughs) And Taraji P. Henson is fucking incredible. And I just, it's such a good quote, and I like it a lot. That's the man. Mm-hmm. That is okay. That that's Colonel Johnson. Okay, in 1960, she and engine, engineer Ted Shapinsky co-authored Determination of Azithmuth Azith hmm, Azithmuth. I want to read it. A z i m u t h Azimuth. Give me spell it again. I'll type it. A Z I M U T H. Azimuth. Azimuth. Thank you. Thanks. That's my guess. <laughs> okay, so they call co-authored determination of azimuth angle at burnout for placing a satellite over a selected Earth position, which was a report laying out the equations describing an orbital spaceflight in which the landing position of the spacecraft it specified. Okay. So they just figured out what goes up and yes. come down. Yes. Okay. And a whole bunch of really long, annoying words. I, I just, figured out how to put it in the sky and how to bring it back down in a, per- <laughs> in a specific location. I googled azimuth. Oh, I have a, I have a laptop now. <laughs> and it, Fancy. It's a noun. It's the direction of a celestial object from the observer expressed as the angular distance from the north or south point of the horizon to the point at which a vertical circle passing through the object intersects the horizon. Mm. So (laughs) the direction of a celestial object. We sound like scientists. (laughs) I didn't know what I just said, but it was smart. (laughs) I'm glad they used the word azimuth and not all of that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Anyway, this was the first time a woman in the flight research division had received credit as an author for a research report. Mm. Yeah. First, it only took them however many years, but this was the first time. That report then put Catherine on the path to making the trajectory analysis for Alan Shepard's Mission Freedom 7 mission which was America's first human space flight. Mm-hmm. In 1962, as NASA prepared for the orbital mission of John Glenn, Catherine was called upon to do the work that she would become most famous for. The complexity of the orbital flight required like this whole big communication system to be set up in Washington, D.C., Cape Canaveral, and then like down in Bermuda. The, basically what happened is they had computers, mm-hmm. the machines. Yeah. That Octavia Spencer's. That's right. Character. Dorothy Vaughn. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That, okay. She's Dorothy Vaughn. Yes. <laughs> Who basically just programmed everything. Yep. So she essentially created these computers to do these calculations mm-hmm. so that they could rely less 
on the human computers, which mm-hmm. is what Katherine Johnson was. But John Glenn and all these other people were like, well, we can't make guarantee that these machines are going to work. Mm-hmm. They're, they're touchy. Sometimes they just, you know, blue screen. I don't think they had blue screens then, but, you know, mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking, blue screened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically they were like, you know, as part of the pre-flight checklist, John Glenn told the engineers, like, go get the girl. Mm-hmm. Made Catherine sit down, do all of the mathing and equationing and geometry. All of oh god, I'm so exhausted. All the azimuth, all <laughs> <laughs> all of the computing things mm-hmm. to make sure that the computer, <laughs> the machine, had done it right. And then he said, "If she says they're good, then I'm ready to go." Oh and yeah, poof, lift off. The sky was not the limit for Catherine, and she worked closely with engineers Al Hamer and John Young. She provided trajectory work for the Lunar Orbiter Program, which mapped the moon's surface in advance of the 1969 moon landing. Hmm. Was it real? I'm real sorry. You can cut that no, out. No, I'm fine. I like it. I like it. I question things all the time. That's what this podcast is about. In 1970, Catherine worked on the Apollo 13 moon mission. When the mission, as you know, was aborted, her work on backup procedures and charts helped set a safe path for the crew's return to Earth. Mm. So basically, she used, she mathed mm-hmm. and computed and figured out a way for the astronauts to use one star. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the fucking North Star or if it's something else, but use that as like measurement. Make sure you're looking here and your trajectory is coming in this way. And as long as you can keep that like in your line of sight, then you're going to land where you need to. That's so confusing. There's so... I can't. I can't even like wrap my brain around it. (laughs) These, she's so fucking smart. It blows my mind. Right. And to be able to for, perform under that pressure. For real. Because, like, if you don't get it, there's going to be death. Yeah. If you don't math good enough, <laughs> yeah, people exactly. will die. If you put your decimal point in the wrong fucking spot, we're going to have a catastrophe. Yeah. In a 2010 interview, Catherine recalled, quote, everybody was concerned about them getting there. We were concerned about getting them back home. Later in her career, Catherine worked on the space shuttle program, the Earth Resources Satellite, and on plans for a mission to Mars. So, before the Mars rover was ever a thing, she was in a fucking think tank trying to figure out how to make it happen. How to make the Mars rover a thing. Again. Like, I can't. I can't do it. Catherine worked as an aerospace technologist from 1958 to her retirement in 1986. She has authored and co-authored 26 research reports. And after 33 years on the job, she said, quote, I loved going to work every single day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amen. If you can fucking say that at the end of 33 years. Yeah. Good on you. You're, you're doing... You're putting a lot of heart into that. Yeah. Uh, She also sang in the choir of Carver Presbyterian Church for over 50 years. 
and has been a lifelong member of Alpha Kappa Kappa Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, since college, and that is the first sorority established by and for African American women. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. She's a, she's a sorority girl. Katherine Johnson has received numerous awards and honors in her prestigious 101 years. Damn. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Damn. I was like, <laughs> I was scrolling through and I was like, I'm sorry. Can we take a moment? President Barack Obama presented her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, she was one of 17 Americans honored in November 2015. On May 5th, 2016, a new building named... Catherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility was dedicated at NASA's Langley Research Center. And during this event, she also received a, it's called a Silver Snoopy Award, but (laughs) I thought that was cute, but it's often called the Astronauts Award. And it's given to those who, quote, have made outstanding contributions to flight safety and mission success. Hmm. The highly acclaimed film, Hidden Figures, was released in December 2016 and was based on the nonfiction book of the same title by Margot Lee Shetterly, who's the same woman who wrote the NASA biography. Oh, wow. Both the book and the movie, incredible. If you haven't Uh seen or read them, please go do it. So, Katherine Johnson appeared alongside Taraji P. Henson at the 89th Academy Awards. And she received a standing ovation from the audience. In an earlier interview, Catherine offered the following comment about the movie. She said, quote, it was well done. The three leading ladies did an excellent job portraying us. Mm -hmm. That's cute, isn't it? In August 2018, West Virginia State University established a STEM scholarship in honor of her and erected a life-size statue of her on campus. And that same year, Mattel created a Barbie doll in the likeness of Catherine with a NASA identity badge. Oh. <laughs> Catherine and her husband, who now have six grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren, live in Hampton, Virginia. Jeez. She continues to encourage her grandchildren and other students to pursue careers in STEM and to shoot for the stars. Oh. <laughs> and I just the one she's got a bunch of different, you know, quotes about about her work at NASA, but I just thought this one was funny. It just says in math, you're either right or you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no gray area in math and I need some gray area. <laughs> I live in the gray. <laughs> and that is Katherine Johnson. That was great. I like her a lot. I like her a lot too. She's she's really really incredible. Mm-hmm. Her I just her knowledge, like her brain must have the most contours ever. Just right. it's just like a jumble of swirls. So much electricity firing at once. <sighs> 1 plus 1, 2. <laughs> 3 plus 4, 7. <laughs> That's what her brain does constantly. (laughs) It's true. I feel like I should have done that math a little quicker. (laughs) Look, I wasn't going to judge, but I was like, (laughs) I feel like you had to think about three plus four. 
Listen, I'm not I, Catherine. I'm also, Kiana. I thought you were going to throw out something more than addition. And I was like, I might be able to do this. Do you remember at the Eggster party? I fucking solved the math problem that was on the mirror. I was like, <laughs> I am an aerospace technologist. <laughs> Clearly. I couldn't even be in the bathroom while it was on the mirror. Because it confused oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have looked at it for too long, I would have blacked out. Seth <laughs> would have found you on the floor. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I tried to math. Erase the equation from the mirror. <laughs> like it's your fucking kryptonite. <laughs> it's sucking my light energy. <laughs> wow. wow. I always respect people who can do math. And it and such like there's math, mm-hmm. which like I can get by using a calculator. Yeah. But then there's like math. Yeah, there's there's so much past <laughs> addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Calculating tip. Mm-hmm. So much past that. So much. And that's not me. Ugh. Well, that was right I made there. a joke about exponents the other day, and I was really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made a joke about exponents the other day, too, but I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was trying to do, like... Two things, uh-huh. and I said squared. Okay. But that's not... Not... Squared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, two squared is the same as two plus two, but... Excuse me. Two times two and two plus two, but that two <laughs> is like a perfect number. Bold. I <laughs> didn't realize your number opinions were going to come <laughs> in <laughs> to this podcast. I prefer the number ten. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I'm covering somebody this week, too. Uh, that's yes, how this you podcast are. <laughs> works. And I'm going to talk to you today about Ruth DeSouza. Oh. So my sources are cinematropical.com, two articles from blackwomenofbrazil.co, and they're called We Keep On In Your Honor, Black Actors Pay Tribute to Ruth DeSouza, and then also... Where's the other? Oh, Ruth DeSosa, pioneer of black representation in Brazilian TV, cinema, and theater passes away. And then also I got some information from a book called Uncle Tom's Cabins, the Transnational History of America's Most Mutable Book. Hmm. And I forgot to write down the author's name. Okay. I can do that real quick, but I won't. <laughs> there was so... I'm going to explain what just happened. <laughs> Cassie was saying she was wearing a sweatshirt and sweats and she was too hot. Danny said, that's your problem. And then Cassie, with so much power behind her, put the strongest middle finger up <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. It radiated. Her. It radiated power. The heat from your core. Yeah, because you're wearing sure a sweatshirt did. and sweatpants. I'm, I'm schwitzing. I don't like it. All right. Okay. Ruth DeSouza was born May 12, 1921, in the northern part of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She was the daughter of a laundress and of a peasant. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) From a young age, Ruth was enthusiastic about acting. Her mother always encouraged her to become an actress and would take Ruth out to watch plays and movies. Oh, fun. See things. I love that that her mom was like, yeah, actress, be that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's such a change from like, no, no, no. Be a teacher. Yeah. Be a... Do something practical. Study business. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. 
But no. No. Chase that. Chase that limelight, honey. <laughs> I know. Um, her passion for acting continued throughout her life. And when she was 17, she decided to audition for a theater company in the city. This theater company was named Tetro Experimental Do Negro. Ten for short. Which is ah. really good. <laughs> and Black Experimental Theater for Translated. Very good. <laughs> so pleased when I wrote that the other day. <laughs> the Black Experimental Theater was created in 1944 by artist and activist Abidas do Nascimento. After he had watched a performance of The Emperor Jones with mm-hmm. the lead actor in blackface. Oh, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> he decided that he would create a troupe specifically for black artists that would combat racist practices and just, like, racist people in the art world. And it would also provide opportunities to black actors that weren't given chances before. Nice. So, Ruth was auditioning for this. Mm-hmm. She did well at the audition and joined the troupe. Ten premiered their work in May 1945 with a production of The Emperor Jones, the play that he had originally ah. seen with the actor in blackface. The performance was highly acclaimed and well-received re- well by audiences and critics. Ruth played the role of an old woman and made history by becoming the first Afro-Brazilian actor to perform at the Municipal Theater of Rio de Janeiro for this performance. Oh, wow. Which, if it, I couldn't, there wasn't a lot that wasn't in Portuguese uh-huh. that I could find source-wise. Understandable. So I couldn't really figure out if this performance was with the Afro-Brazilian theater troupe, uh-huh. which... I assume then she just might have been the first character on stage for that whole performance. Mm. And that's what made her the first Afro-Brazilian to perform there. Oh, okay. Or if she had been scouted by another theater troupe for that role and then mm-hmm. was brought okay. on to... I d- wasn't quite sure, but... We don't know Portuguese. I d- don't at all. <laughs> <laughs> But this was a huge deal. At the time, it was unlikely to see a black woman as an audience member at the Municipal Theater. Mm. So to see her in this troupe, I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. on stage was a huge deal. That's incredible. Uh, She continued stage acting for some time after this before her talents got her a scholarship at Harvard University, where she studied acting for a year. What? Get it. Traveling all around. When she returned to Brazil, she made her debut film performance in the 1948 film Terra Violenta by Edmund Bernadi. After this film debut, she continued acting in dozens of films before taking on her most iconic role in film um, in the film. I said film 10,000 times there in the movie The Landowner's Daughter. Uh, she played Sabina in the film, and it was set in 19th century Brazil during the fight against black slavery. Oh. The drama participated in the Venice Film Festival, and Ruth's performance landed her a nomination for Best Actress. Oh, way to go, girl. Making her the first ever Brazilian actor to gain this accomplishment. Damn. So, big deal. Yeah. She's, she's going all in. She's doing it. She's all like, over the Mama place. wants me to be a star. I'm here. <laughs> This is for you, Jazz Mom. hands. <laughs> her nomination at the Venice Film Festival put her up against actresses like Katherine Hepburn and Michelle Morgan. Mm. In the end, she lost by two points to actress Lily Palmer. Boo. She was very close. Yeah. 
So, Ruth continued on her acting career in films, including the American film Makumba Love in 1960, Amorte Commanda Okanko, sorry, my <laughs> mouse was covering the C, so it made it look like a G. Okay, <laughs> And then also um, the movie Assault on the Pay Train in 1962. In 1968, Ruth then moved her talents to the television industry, mm. becoming the first black actress to star in a telenovela. Another first. Oh, I, for a second I was like, what is a telenovela? Soap opera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1999, she appeared in A Glass of Rage, and in 2004, she appeared in the film Daughters of the Wind, both performances receiving Best Actress Awards at the Gramado Film Festival. Oh, Ruth acted in over 30 films, appeared in over 20 soap operas, and performed on stage in the U.S. and in Brazil before retiring in the 2000s. Oh my goodness. Ruth's groundbreaking career wasn't easy considering the sexism and racism she experienced from the public and others in the industry. She had always called for a greater representation of black Brazilians in the arts and criticized the stereotypical roles of servants and slaves that was open Mm -hmm. that were mostly open to them yeah she also openly spoke out about racism in the business in one telenovela she was approached by the creator who told her that the other cast members were bothered that her name was highlighted in the credits and she was asked if she minded if her name was listed after all the others oh (laughs) i she probably said no yeah. Well, she minded, is what I mean. Clearly she but minded. But they didn't, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, uh, she said that they started making her role smaller and smaller. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Ruth DeSosa was the first black actress to build a career in Brazilian theater, cinema, and television. She was considered to be a highly acclaimed actress of her time, and yet, being one of the most celebrated black actresses on Brazilian TV, she only played a central character twice. Really? In all of her 20 fucking soap operas? Yeah. She had, and the two roles, one was in a soap opera and one was in a movie. Oh, okay. But still. She was like a household name. Yeah. She is like a household name. Yeah. <laughs> in Brazil. Not not here. Mm-hmm. Because we don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> and she openly talked about the fact that she was only the central character twice. Mm-hmm. And she was like, in this some bullshit? <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you believe this? She did not sugarcoat it. <laughs> in retirement, she participated in two documentaries that focused on the issue of black representation. Mm. She could be... She could also be found giving literacy classes to poor people who wanted to become actors but could not read. Oh, wow. She was really given back. Yeah. On Sunday, July 28th, 2019, at the age of 98, the legend Ruth DeSosa died in Copacabana, southern Rio de Janeiro, from pneumonia. Aww. Long life. Yeah. Known as the first black lady of Brazilian theater, many of today's famous black actors and actresses shared emotional tributes paying their respects to DeSosa. Her body was displayed on the 29th at the Municipal Theater of Rio de Janeiro, which is like... That's a full circle. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. And I'm going to end this. That was a quick, hard and fast right in there. Um, uh, I'm going to end by reading one of the tributes from an actress mm-hmm. named Thais Arajuo. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's how you say it. Okay. And in her, and this was after Ruth had died, and in her original post, she names a lot of Afro-Brazilian actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of time and not listing names and butchering names, <laughs> fair. I, I took most of them out. Okay. So, quote, she came before all of us. She came before Chica Xavier. She came before Leah Garcia, before Zizi Moda. She came before many of us, always with a sweeping talent and a professionalism to stand out, a charm and a respect for the profession. When this profession profession was not respected when actresses were not respected or admired she opened all the doors she opened those doors and today maria sisa zizi barbosa isabel fidelis and olivia arujuo and so many other sisters i haven't mentioned and i are here thanks to her and her legacy thank you Doña ruth thank you for all the tenacity all the commitment all the talent all the courage all the humanity all the perseverance Thank you for your existence, and I take the liberty of thanking you from all the women in this country, even those who are unaware of your importance. I love you. We love you. We salute you. We celebrate you. We will continue your teachings and honor your legacy always. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) That was lovely. Oh, that was so good. I just, hold on. Just have just one. Just one from both eyes. <laughs> so two, two tears for Su- Sosa. Two tears. <laughs> That's so lovely. Yeah. So she was on my radar to cover as a person uh-huh. because I watched one of the documentaries that she was speaking. Oh, okay. Yeah. In one of my Brazilian classes. Oh, Brazilian classes. Yeah. Just the history of modern Brazil. Gotcha. And... The way that the other, like, talking heads, uh-huh. who were actors and actresses in the industry, talked about Ruth mm-hmm. and her impact and her importance and seeing her and having her inspire them mm-hmm. was just beautiful. That's amazing. And she really was, like, knew what she was doing in terms of... She understood her importance. Yeah. That's what I should say. Yeah. And she... Uh, reached out to other people. I mean, she taught literacy classes. Yeah, exactly. And I think she's amazing. I love that. That I don't think there's anything more... I don't... I have no words. I don't know words right now. But I think it's really incredible when people realize the impact mm-hmm. of what they are doing Mm-hmm. And use it for good mm-hmm. and put it out there and share it and bring other people into the fold, mm-hmm. you know. And embracing it even though it's, like, hard. Exactly. Like, t- like saying, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be a fucking struggle. But we're doing it anyway. Yeah. Like, I looked at our list because uh-huh. I'm kind of... Michelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols, yeah, exactly. I was like, it's not Michelle. Because one of the things when Nichelle Nichols was talking about the importance of Uhura, mm-hmm. she was like, why does it have to be me? Why did I get... Exactly. Why at... is this on me? And it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to, like, cope with that imp- like that burden, yeah. really. Yeah. And to see other women going through that mm-hmm. and, like, going through the abuses of being yeah. a black woman in the, in the industry for the future for uh-huh. the next generation uh-huh. star trek um 
It's really, it's amazing. It is amazing. Because not everybody can do it. No, it takes a very special person to be able to take to take on that mantle and be like, I am fighting for not only myself and my career and my legacy, mm-hmm. but I'm setting, I'm paving the way. I'm setting, I'm setting the standard for the next generation or the people to follow behind me and, mm-hmm. and make their way through this, you know, whatever it is. Shit, shit hole exactly. of racism. Exactly. <laughs> Easier. Yeah. Or at least give them, you know, give them a guiding light to fucking get there. Mm-hmm. And to be so, like, outstandingly talented. Mm-hmm. For even racists yeah. to be like, for even even oh, for racists, good job, <laughs> right? And to it's, it's like homophobes who are like, I love Ellen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah, that that's was, amazing. That was Ruth DeSosa. Ah, love Ruth DeSosa. Great episode, guys. Way to go! Number two, good work all around. Number two. For Black History Month. Mm-hmm. What's up? All right. Well, I got yelled at this last week because I did it wrong. If you <laughs> like us, <laughs> please rate, review, and subscribe. Give us those five stars. We like them. Mm-hmm. If you want to tell us anything, you can email us mm-hmm. at that moxie at gmail.com or slide into our DMs oh, yeah. on Twitter at Broad's got Moxie, mm-hmm. or on Instagram and Facebook at that Broad's got Moxie. That's right. Oh, I was going to tell you, I tried really hard to <laughs> to post the the Monty Python thing. Mm-hmm. I finally found it. <laughs> it's hysterical. I watched it a ton of times. Posted it, and then both Instagram and Facebook were like, "You don't own this," and I was like, "Yeah, but I'm just trying to prove that I'm not dumb." <laughs> Facebook and Instagram owned by. It's Facebook, both mm-hmm. of them. Um, they really don't want you to be right. No, and they don't. They're actively trying to make me seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, they don't need to work that hard. <gasps> oh my! Bam! 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 <laughs> Insulted! Boom! <laughs> Goodbye, Jesus. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.